People tend to persecute you for it, and as we've said many times, we've all experienced that. You can be a Methodist or a Baptist or a Catholic, and people, for the most part, haven't cared. But once you come across the truth of God, they don't like it. There is an absolute difference between satanic Christianity, then, and godly Christianity. And it's evidenced by the attitudes toward each. So Christ is saying, if you're righteous, you're going to ultimately be persecuted for being that, for his sake. But the kingdom of heaven will be yours. So do we want an earthly peace among our friends and relatives in the world, or do we want peace eternally in the kingdom of God? That becomes the question then. Because if we do God's way, we're going to be persecuted. Verse 11, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Now we're going to have people who hate us, who despise us, who falsely accuse us of all kinds of things because we're trying to do what's right. Now, none of us are perfect and none of us are totally righteous. We still have our faults. But they're going to magnify whatever they see or think they see, and they're going to hate us if we try to serve and obey God with all our hearts. That's just part of, comes with the territory. So expect it. (laughs) You know, just expect it. What did they do with Christ himself? He was righteous in a way that no one has ever been righteous. And he has been hated by more people than anyone in history by leaps and bounds. The whole world basically hates Christianity, except those who claim to be Christian. And they are being hated for being Christian, and they in turn are turning on each other and hating each other for the kind of Christian they are. There's always been a certain amount of rancidity between Baptists and Methodists, as I recall from childhood. We went to the Methodist church, and the Baptist church was on the other corner, and there wasn't too much communication between the two. It was, uh, so they persecuted each other in that case. But there wasn't any righteousness involved. <laughs> there was their kind of religion involved. So if you serve God, expect people to say all manner of evil things about you. It just will be. Now, if you can't handle that, don't be a Christian. Don't be a follower of Christ. Because he went through that and then died the most horrible death of anybody for being totally, completely righteous without any imperfection whatsoever. There wasn't a thing wrong with him. Now, they accused him of being a drunk, a wine-bibber. They accused him of some of them who were self-righteous of having dinner with publicans and sinners. He was accused of all kinds of things, of even being a bastard, which, you know, that, he didn't have anything to do with that, and he wasn't anyway. 
But he had got accused of all kinds of things that he just hadn't done and wasn't. So everything about him was a false accusation. And then he died probably, undoubtedly, the worst death of anyone who's ever lived. There have been some pretty horrible deaths from torture and so on. But I think that God set it up on purpose that his would be the worst. Because we cannot suffer anything that he has not suffered. That's very clear in Scripture. So he said there's nothing that will be put upon you <clears throat> that is worse than what he went through. He was tempted in all points like as we are. So he had human nature that desired to do and think this, 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 and this, which was ungodly. He had that nature, the same nature you and I have. That's hard for people to accept, to understand. He had to have it. If he hadn't had it, he couldn't be tempted like we are. He was human. He had a desire for material things that came to his mind. You think he didn't? Why did Satan tempt him with those things? And with ruling the whole world and having everything on the earth as his own. Satan recognized that Christ was human. So he tempted him with those physical things. Christ saw a beautiful woman walking down the street. He had the same desire any man would have. The desire to come to mind is not wrong. It's what you do with it that's wrong. And he didn't let it develop into lust. Attraction, maybe, but he didn't let it go to lust. He stopped it before it went that far. Therefore, it was not sin. It didn't break God's command. But if he hadn't had those impulses, those desires come to his mind, he couldn't have been tempted like the rest of us. And he was. And it says that he learned by the things that he suffered. Now, I'm not telling you in any way that Christ wasn't perfect. He was. But he had the same temptations that we have and did not give in even once. And you and I don't generally make it through a day in some form or another putting ourselves ahead of God or God's law, and that's idolatry. Anytime we put ourselves ahead of God's way or Him and what we want, that's idolatry because we're putting ourselves ahead of God. It can be in a very small way, but it's still there. And there's no way we can earn salvation being what we are. It has to be the gift of God and forgiveness that allows us to be justified and given life, be saved from this life. So let's understand that he was persecuted, but he never gave in to that. In other words, well, you're this or you're that, 
And peer pressure did not affect him. He said, I'm going to do what's right. I don't care what you say. It doesn't matter. You can't put pressure on me because I will not allow the pressure to affect me. Well, that's outstanding. Remember when you were a kid or an adult and pressure was put on you in school to conform to be like the other kids, dress like them, talk like them, act like them? And a lot of what they did was not good, if we can remember that far back. A lot of what they did was not godly. But we were easily influenced by the pressure from others around us. Now, I'm particularly, I guess, aware of that because I came, my parents came into the church in about 52, 53. And I was just a little kid going to school. And it was a town of 5,000. And my dad was a businessman in that town. And I'm sure I was known and our family was known more than I at that age realized. Because when you leave the Methodist church and start keeping the Sabbath and doing these things in a town that small, it's known. So I grew up being the kid that couldn't play basketball and football on the Sabbath. If I was going to be in sports, I had to play tennis, and then I was girly, because that's the only thing that they had on Tuesday and Thursday or whatever. So I was aware of it from age seven, eight, that I had to be different than everybody around me. And that was difficult. It was difficult. but I'm not Christ, <laughs> you know? And I gave in to an awful lot of peer pressure here, there, and everywhere, and all kinds of pressures through life. But he didn't, and he is the example for us. We need to comprehend, though, that he was aware of all those things. He was aware of people around him who were ungodly, and there were no godly people around, for the most part, except those he called and worked with. Not truly godly. So he was universally hated, and for the most part, is universally hated today. People have other gods that they worship. All of them pointed at Satan, ultimately, but other kinds of gods that they worship. And we still tend to worship ourselves and put ourselves ahead of him and the standard that he set. So we struggle with it and work at it day by day. But if you're going to be a follower of Christ, he's saying, this comes with the territory. Just expect it. Know it's going to happen. But I'm here to reward you for doing my way in spite of what they say. doesn't matter what people think. You obey me and serve me and be righteous, and it will all turn out roses. You'll be in the kingdom of God because you were able to handle that. So when we're persecuted, he says we're blessed, blessed. Go down to verse 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for the persecution you do receive. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, none of the prophets were perfect either. 
And they're examples of some of the prophets and some of the problems they had, some of the faith issues, the trust issues, the willingness to obey God no matter what the cost to them issues, uh, the I'm not righteous enough to be that issues, I'm just a fruit picker, why do you want me to be a prophet? Uh, not wanting to do what God told them to do like Jonah. Uh, you know, there, there are problems that the prophets had. But overall, they were righteous men. And they served God and taught what God wanted said, taught His way, and went up against people who did not like that. They had their way of living, sinful, in every way. And when a prophet would come along and tell them, cut down your idols, get rid of your idols, melt them down, burn them down, get rid of them, quit sacrificing your children to the fire and to abortion, and all the things the prophets told them to do, and obey God and keep the Sabbath, oh, they hated that. And most of them they killed. They wound up killing them and sometimes in pretty gruesome and tortuous ways. Isaiah, one of the kindest, gentlest prophets of all, now he had some pretty strong things to say, but he had a very kind, loving way of putting things. I'm impressed by Isaiah's writings. And yet he suffered probably one of the most horrible deaths of them all. That's bad enough to get sawed in half across your midsection, but apparently they started at his crotch and sawed him apart all the way up through his head. And he lived through quite a bit of that as the saw came up. They're going to do the same things to Christians here in the next few years. It's going to be awful. And the only way, as a Christian, you can escape that is to serve God, heart, mind, body, and soul, and be part of His gathering and His people that will serve Him first, will not accept the mark of the beast, the mask of the beast, or anything that's coming that they're going to put on us to enslave us. And it's coming now very rapidly. It's not a thing of the future. It's happening day by day and intensifying, as I think we can all see. But where it's going to reach, we have to read the Bible to find out. And it tells us. It really tells us. So rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, when you're being persecuted or tortured, it's hard to rejoice. That's why he says to rejoice... What are you rejoicing in? You're not rejoicing in the Chinese water torture or a Gitmo stretchy machine. You're rejoicing in that the end product is life eternal and peace and security in the kingdom of God. That's what you're rejoicing in. If you have that goal in mind, you have a better chance of achieving that that if your goal is just physical peace and security on this earth, and that's as far as your vision goes. 
Because when they put this pressure on, the whole world is going to accept the beast's way because that's the only way that they will be allowed to stay alive is if they accept everything that these people are now starting to put on us. And if you don't go that way, they will kill you. And they're already saying it. In Washington, D.C., we're going to get rid of all those who will not become nice little communist slaves. I'm putting it right down the line, and some of them are saying it that way. That's their goal. That's their purpose. Biden's trying to pick a fight with Putin right now. He said, Putin's a killer. Well, Putin responded by saying, let's have a worldwide debate. Just you and me. Let's go at it here, Biden. Of course, Biden's handler said no. <laughs> I mean, he hadn't got a brain. Uh, at least it's barely functioning. But not that he'd go up against a smart man like that. But he keeps pushing, pushing, pushing. And what's going to happen? Prophecies tell us what's going to happen. Well, it's, it's in the works, brethren. It's in the works. But if our goal and our purpose is out there, to be in the kingdom of God, that gives us strength and courage and faith that God will see us through. And that's all you need to know. That's where your strength is. Without vision, the people perish. But if they have understanding and vision of what is to come, they're able to withstand it, and if they perish physically, they won't spiritually. So the goal has to be there. That's why I said even in cleaning up here, I wanted to set be a time goal to have certain things achieved, even if it means just hauling it off in order to accomplish it, because I've been thinking about it for a long, long time, and never just got down to the brass tacks of how are we going to do this? You've got to have a goal and a purpose, and you've got to have a plan. And once you get that going, then goals are achievable. So the goal for us is that kingdom of God, and we press forward toward the mark in faith, trusting him that no matter what we go through here, it'll be worth it in the long run. So, you'll be blessed, and when it comes, rejoice in it, because we know that Christ suffered the same thing, and if we're going to be his followers, it's coming on us as well. So be prepared, be ready, have your attitude ready, and trust him to take care of you, just as the people in Hebrews 11 did. Some of them were delivered, were they not, as we read. Some of them were tortured and died, as we read. Bottom line of Hebrews 11 is no matter what happened to them on this earth, good or bad, they're going to be in the kingdom of God. Bottom line. So whatever comes on us, he will not allow anything to happen to us that he will not give us the strength to handle. No temptation will be that great that we can't handle it. Now, we might not handle it on our own. That's why we need his spirit and his power, is to handle it when it does come through his power and his strength, because on our own, 
we'd knuckle under like anybody else. Because we want to live and we want our tummy full. And that's what will motivate people. Not us. We rejoice in eternal things. And he tells us in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. Sometimes cooks don't put enough salt in things. And it tastes kind of bland and isn't very good. So we grab a salt shaker and we fix it. Because God made salt to be good. And good salt is better than bad salt. But that's another discussion. Well, it is in a way. But he discusses that right here. If the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men? So salt has to be able to be strong enough and good enough quality to flavor what we're eating. Otherwise, what's its purpose? And when it says be trodden under foot of men, what that means is that they used to mine salt, and some of it was poor quality and didn't have the flavor, the savor that salt needs. So they put it in the street and walked on it. Paved the street with salt. That's what that means. That's what they did. So if God has made us the salt of the earth, we are here to bring flavor to mankind. Now you don't, if you have a piece of meat this big, you don't need a whole lot of salt. It's the meat you're after, not the salt, right? But you put a little salt on it to make it have more flavor and enhance it so it's more pleasing to you. So we have all this population of the earth, and God wants us, and he uses this analogy, to be the flavoring that makes life better and enhances it. But if we are spiritually so weak that we can't accomplish that, what good are we? What value do we have? Throw them in the street. <laughs> they, they aren't any help. And he goes on from that analogy then to say, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So we're here to be a flavoring that God has provided for the world. And it is to enhance and make things better. Now, if the world is in darkness and cannot see where it's going, what it's doing, and we have a world like that today, we have a nation now that we see is rudderless. It has no purpose, no goal, no direction it can go. It doesn't have a united people in any way that can accomplish anything anymore. We do not exist as a nation. We're individual people behind our masks, hiding from each other, and not wanting to be involved with each other anymore. I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, there's some of you I don't want to see even if they don't have a mask on. True. But God has made us the light of the world. 
In the darkness that the world is, we should shine forth and give a true light of what God would have people to be, an example of what God wants. Now, they won't like it. A light shines, and if it's a good light, it'll be bright enough maybe to shine in their eyes, and that's uncomfortable. We're here to make people uncomfortable, not to make them comfortable. We're to be a light that shines. Now, that can have different effects. Sometimes the light can light the way and show you what to do, and certainly that's what we ought to be. But if people are opposed to God and godly things, that same light will glare in their eyes. And that's mostly what will happen. It's a light to show people where to go and how to walk and how to be, but they don't like it. (coughs) So, what's their reaction? Shut that off. Get rid of that. I don't like that. Shines too much. Too bright. Can't handle it. (coughs) But, God said, He put us here to be a light. To show the way, whether they like it or not. So, He wants it where it can't be hid. (coughs) We know from some Old Testament prophecies that that light is to shine from Zion. He's going to be a wall of fire around, so he's going to provide a lot of light. And then our example and our preaching and teaching is to be a light to the whole world, which will have gone the way of Satan and the beast. So it'll be a good light set up to show the world the right way and that how God can bless if you do right. And at the same time, they will hate it with a passion because that's not the way they want to go. The human mind, carnal mind, normal mind is enmity to God. Always has and always will be. Until that mind is converted, it's going to be that way. So he says, you put it, don't hide it, you put it on a candlestick, it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, the way you live, the way you do things, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, ultimately, that will be the product of what God is doing. When Christ came to this earth, he he was a light to the world. He showed them the way, the right way. And universally, they despised it and hated it and put his light out. Killed it. Well, his father resurrected him, and he became a light again to a few whom he has called since he was here on this earth. And here at the end, he's called some to be that light to a sick, dying world walking in darkness what he's called you and me to be. Now, they're not going to glorify God right now. When the two go out to preach Christ and the Father to the world, they're going to be hated by the whole world. Hated and then killed. 
the way they did Christ. Same thing going to happen. Same result. So God put Christ here to be a light, and he was, but they've extinguished it. He's put us here to be a light to the world, and they're going to try to extinguish us, but he's going to protect his gathering in Zion, put a wall of fire around it, and not let them destroy that light because he wants it to shine from the hill. And he wants the two to go out and tell the world, look, those people are obeying God's laws, and they have security and peace and happiness, and they have everything they need, and they're getting along with one another. And they'll hate it with a passion. And then they'll extinguish that light. And when that's extinguished, three and a half days later, Christ is going to return and begin to supply a light to the whole world. But it's going to be after well over 90% of the population has been destroyed. That's what it's going to take. The few that are left to live into the millennium are going to have seen all this, experienced it, and then they're going to begin to have a change of heart and mind because they're going to realize that he is the light of the world. And then we'll have peace for a thousand years. Then you're going to have all these people who hated the light of Christ and the light of Noah and the light of Moses and the light of David and the light of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel and all those and the apostles and hated it are going to be resurrected, come up out of the ground and realize they've been dead and they got cobwebs in their bones and they're going to see again and live again and they're going to have a change of attitude and heart and then the light of God will shine upon them and in them and come out of them and most of them are going to be saved and have life eternal because that carnal mind, that's enmity, is going to be changed, converted to like God's way. So when he tells us to have these attitudes at the beginning of this teaching, then he says, the result, if you do this, and you're righteous, you're going to be persecuted and hated. But they've done that to all the prophets. You're nothing special. This is what's going to come on you. But if you'll obey me, I will even bring you out and protect you physically so you can be a light to a dark world. And then I'm going to transcend that light with a greater light in changing us into immortality to be a great shining light far beyond what we could be in this life. So that's where we're headed. Now, I want to go into just a little bit more. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. This is one of the two chapters designated the blessing and cursing chapters. Because we're heading into this period of persecution and tribulation. I wanted to go through that section there in Matthew 5 and then point out a few things here. Deuteronomy 28, we won't go through the whole chapter. That would take a sermon or two or three. But uh, begin in verse 9. The Eternal shall establish you a holy temple uh, unto himself, as he has sworn to you, if you shall keep the commandments of the Eternal your God and walk in his ways. 
and all people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Eternal, and they shall be afraid of you. Think they're not going to be afraid of the two witnesses in the church here at the end? When plagues and their waters turned to blood and all the things that happened in Egypt happen again? Yeah, they'll be afraid. And the Eternal shall make you plenteous in goods, in the fruit of your body, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of the ground and the land, which the Eternal swore to you, your fathers to give you. He tells us there in Zechariah 2, that when he gathers his people together, they're going to be much men and cattle there. So he's going to fulfill that in a small group of people here at the end, in the same way that he's talking about here in Deuteronomy 28 to ancient Israel. The Eternal shall open unto you his good treasure, the heaven to give you rain and the land in his season, and to bless all the work of your hand, and you shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. This nation used to lend to other nations because we had so much. We were the greatest giver of foreign aid and help to other peoples of any nation on earth. We were in the very best position financially of anyone. That has turned around. Today, we are the greatest debtor nation on earth. That's happened in the last 30, 40 years. 50. Turned completely around. We are the poorest nation on earth. We just don't know it yet. Because we haven't had to pay the fiddler yet. So we're inflating the money supply and acting like we're still rich but our dollars are becoming more and more worthless, and pretty soon they'll be bad toilet paper, too slick. But that's all they'll be worth. And the Eternal shall make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only, and you shall not be beneath, if that you hearken to the commandments of the Eternal your God, which I command you this day to observe and to do them. Now, he gave this to ancient Israel, and he gave it to the New Testament church in a different form in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But it's the same principles from the same God. Obey me, and everything is going to go well. And you'll be the head, not the tail. And you shall not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. No idolatry. Saying the same thing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Obey me, serve me, have these attitudes. But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken to the voice of the Eternal your God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field, cursed in the basket, in the store, Cursed will be your kids, the fruit of your vine. He goes on down and, oh, he talks about all kinds of curses. Twenty-one, pestilence will come, disease and destruction, till you've been consumed from off the land where you go to possess it. He'll smite you with consumption, with a fever and with an inflammation, and with extreme burning and with the sword, and with blasting and mildew, and you shall pers- and pursue you till you perish. 
We have people right now pursuing us to take shots that will kill us. If not this one, the next one, or the one after. They're planning it. Now, God says these things are going to happen. He doesn't say exactly how they'll come to pass. But in the past, he's generally turned it over to Satan and says, go for it, like he did with Job. And he's allowed Satan to do these things. Well, we've got people who worship the devil, who are Luciferians today, who are doing this to us. That's how it's coming to pass. It's developing before our very eyes. And he goes on down and talks about all the curses that are coming. Verse 43, the stranger that is within you, and we're letting the strangers in by the hundreds of thousands and millions today. The current communist administration in Washington is opening our borders to anybody who wants to come. It's not just people from Mexico. It's people from all over the world who come to Mexico and walk across our border. All kinds of people from everywhere. People from the Middle East, people from China, wherever they're from, they can fly into Mexico and walk across the border now and get a license to drive and uh, a check every month and so on because they want them to become communist Democrats. And the stranger that is within you shall get up above you very high, speaking of Israelites, the white folks, and you shall come down very low. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you, and shall pursue you, and overtake you, till you be destroyed. This nation is going to be destroyed. Because you did not listen to the voice of the Eternal, your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded. And they shall be upon you a sign and for a wonder and upon your seed forever, because you serve not the eternal your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. He goes on down to tell about a woman will have a baby come from between her legs and she will eat it. Verse 53, you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters. They're putting it in the vaccine. They're putting it in... Baby parts in the beauty products that you use. They're putting baby products in the flavorings and the colorings in your food. They are now beginning to take DNA and grow meat from the genes of specific people. I just read an article, how you're going to be able to eat your celebrities. People you've gone to the movies and watched. They're going to take their DNA and in a lab grow meat from their cells and offer it to you to eat. So if you have a favorite movie star, actor or actress, you can literally eat them. This stuff's on us, what he's saying right here in Deuteronomy 28. 
He'll scatter you among all the people from one end of the earth to the other, verse 64. And we'll get to the place, verse 67. In the morning you shall say, Would God it were evening. And at even you shall say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of your heart wherewith you shall fear. For the sight of your eyes which you shall see. And the eternal shall bring you into Egypt again with ships. By the way, wherever I spoke to you. A third of us are going to be taken into captivity put on ships and hauled to other nations to become slaves. It's in the works. It's coming upon us. This nation does not exist as a nation anymore. It is being divided, pulled apart, and destroyed, and this is what they're going to do. They're already taking our little boys and little girls and making them sex slaves. Let's buy your senators and presidents and vice presidents in Washington, D.C., that are part of these things. It's sick. It's sick. What are we going to do? Serve God. I was going to go to Obadiah. I'm about to run out of time. But there he talks about the Edomite. Remember Jacob and Esau were brothers. And Esau hated Jacob because he took his birthright. But God had chosen Jacob to be his nation as an example to the world. But Israel then wound up getting divorced from Christ because they would not be a good wife. And now our nation, physical Israel, is being destroyed as well. And he says that Esau or Edom would be behind it. They would be in the fat places of the earth, in the high finance, big money people, and that those big money people would then turn around and destroy Jacob, this nation, and the other Israelite nations in Western Europe, and wherever Israelites are. They would destroy them, and they would rejoice over them as they went down. Now that is happening because we have the billionaires, who are of a lot of them Edomite blood, the Rothschilds, Red Badge of Esau, and others, Billionaires. How can we believe someone like Bill Gates, who has said that he wants to reduce the population of the earth by 90%? On numerous occasions, Bill Gates has made that kind of reference. Then he comes out with this needle and says, I want to save all of you. Now, how can he say, I'm going to destroy 90% of you, at the same time he's offering something that'll help you live. I begin to wonder if that shot he wants to give you is there to help his goal of reducing you by 90%. You know, I no, I don't have any problem with that. I know it's what's going on. Because God said it would. And the big money people are setting us up right now with inflation, stock market going up incredibly, they're setting us up for the kill and the crash of Zephaniah 1, in which it's all coming down. And it's all going to happen very shortly now because the people in charge are making it happen. And they are going to rejoice over us. And then God says he will deal with them. That's what Obadiah is all about.
you can go to Daniel 11. And there it says that Satan and his New World Order government is going to persecute the true believers of God. And they're already beginning to, per- to persecute anybody who speaks of Christ. They're coming under fire by people in Washington who are Luciferians. And it's going to get worse and worse. And Satan knows where the true light of the world is for those who worship the true God and follow the truth. He knows where they are. He sees that light, however dim it might be. He can see it because he hates God and he hates us because we believe in God. So he's going to try to kill us all. And he says there in Daniel 11, some of understanding will fall and some will be killed. And he's even clear there in Revelation 12, it's very clear when Satan is cast down for the last time and can't persecute us anymore, that he's going to come. He'll try to kill those who are true believers when they flee from Jerusalem to Zion nearby here. They'll make it if they don't hesitate. And then he's going to go back after the 90% that did not respond. And he's going to kill them all. Hopefully they'll repent before he kills them. But this is what's coming down very shortly in this nation. If you can't see it by now, you're just as blind as the dumbest, stupidest Democrat communist. Or Republican. I'm not playing political games here. The Republicans are going along with this. Even Trump's saying to take the shot, you know. None of them are righteous. None of them are followers of God. So it doesn't matter which party we're talking about. They're all in it together. Then you can go to Revelation 17. It's going to say that the beast hates the great whore who has been ruling over the nations. You know, it's strange that a lot of these people today, commentators... Uh, people who are somewhat waked up to what's going on, will make references to these prophecies that I'm talking about today and more, and they'll apply them to this country. And they'll say, these curses of Deuteronomy are coming on us. And they recognize that America is the great whore, Babylon, that has been ruling over the nations. There's no other nation you can plug into the description of Revelation 17 and 18 or of Isaiah 48, or these other descriptions of Babylon. It's all very clear to them that, well, that fits America. So they see how the prophecies of God fit this country, and they fail to see in the context that all those prophecies are about Israel and Judah, and make the connection that we're Israel. They can't make that connection. So they apply the prophecies to us because the analogy is so clear. It's clear that we are the things that the prophecies talk about. But they won't admit over a stack of Bibles that we're Israel. Kind of interesting to me to see them say those things. And I think, isn't that obvious? Oh, Israel, this is what I'm going to do. This blessing and cursing is on you, O Israel, whom I've called out. 
So they'll apply it to our nation and say, well, these curses are coming and now we're, we're killing our children and passing them through the fire just like they were back then in a different way. They see all this happening, but they're not going to admit for a moment that we're Israel. Well, we know it. And we know we're spiritual Israel. And Christ is making it very clear there in Matthew 5 that Satan hates all Israelites, physical or spiritual. All the Gentile nations are now turning on anybody who's a Caucasian who are of the seed of Jacob, including his brother Esau, who hated him with a passion. And Esau still hates us as Israelites and descendants of Jacob with a passion. And they're going to have a coalition of nations, all the Gentile nations, who are going to rise up and destroy Israel. Us being the leader of Israel is Ephraim, and the rest of the Israelite countries as well, nations of Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and so on. It's coming. It's upon us. The persecution has begun, and it's going to get worse and worse. So Christ tells us here, it comes with the territory. If we're going to obey him, we'll be persecuted. And he says, if we will obey him with all our heart, he will protect us from all these things. And I just barely scratched the surface today. I mean, the prophecies go on and on and on and on, repeating these things. They're all coming, and they're all here. They're just getting worse by the day. We're not waiting anymore for these prophecies to occur. They are occurring. They're just getting worse. And they will get worse and worse until we are utterly destroyed, as we just read. And there will be such famine in the land, the people will eat their own babies. That is beyond my imagination. I can't contemplate that. But when people are hungry and desperate, they will do anything to survive. It's happened in the past. And even now, our so-called celebrities are celebrating the idea of eating human flesh and cannibalism and saying how they're going to make it available. And some of them are having cannibal dinners already. And one of the leading pop singers, Katy Perry, said they brought her in as if they were going to crucify her and eat her. And then they let her up because it was just a play action. But then she sat down with them, Hollywood celebrities, and had a meal of human flesh. And she said it wasn't too bad. What we're reading here, brethren, is here. I hope we grasp that. I hope this is, as this intensifies, and all across the nation, women have babies and eat their own babies. We're already headed there. It's already accepted by our celebrities. And soon it will be accepted by everyone. Says the husband will look at his wife as dinner. And the wife will look at her husband as dinner. And they'll kill each other and eat each other. 
Now, that's about as gruesome as I can get. But it's not me. It's right here. Deuteronomy 28. If it's already occurring in this nation, it's just going to get worse. Now, if we obey God, we're going to be persecuted for it. We'll be hated of all nations. We're to be a light to the world, no matter whether they like that light or not. We're to be that little bit of salt that God has put here on this earth to give flavor to being a human being. And we need to be sure that that salt tastes good. Now, we got to where we didn't taste too good to the Father and the Son. It was too bland. It wasn't salt enough. And he spewed us out. Now he wants us to become a savor in his mouth. Something that tastes good to it. Something he feels good about. And so that the light he sees coming from us is the light of his spirit going out to the world. They won't like it, but he will. Now, can the world give you eternal life? They're talking about ways that they can. But they can't. But he can. So, I want to be a light to him. I want to please him. Now, if that displeases the world around me and they kill me for it, I'm to rejoice in that because I know I'll be in the kingdom of God, having stood fast in faith and trust in him for eternity and died as a human being, so what? I'll take eternity over that. But most of this world, 99 point whatever percent of it, is going to accept Lucifer's way and the mark of the beast and the beast's way in order to preserve this life. So what's it going to be? Be a light to the world, be the salt that Christ savors, and that he wants to use to salt the whole earth in the millennium and the great white throne judgment and have the flavor that we can give to all of mankind. You have been called for an incredible purpose right now and in the future. And it doesn't make any difference what the world says or Satan says. If we will obey God, we will live in eternity and be a good taste in Christ's mouth and a light to the world and a good taste in its mouth. Because the bride of Christ will give the right flavor for the whole world. We have a goal. We have a purpose. And if we will perform now, He will give it to us. We can't earn it, but we can overcome, we can grow, we can change, and please him now and be a good taste instead of the bad taste we gave him in Worldwide, and he'll save us out of this. So we have a goal, we have a purpose, and we have a wonderful reward waiting. So whatever Satan in the world throws at us, It's a blessing. It's a joy. Because the reason it's coming is because we don't deserve it. It's false persecution. And we know God will reward us.
what Christ is showing us here in Matthew 5 is so pertinent to today, it's almost unbelievable that he could say that 2,000 years ago. And here we sit, not in the middle of it yet, but certainly headed toward the middle of it as this hurricane comes down. Have a good week.